This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Little Earth. Welcome to another episode of Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast focusing on the world-renowned MMORPG Lord of the Rings Online, as well as related topics in books, movies, gaming, and the lore of J.R.R. Tolkien. This is episode number six, and I'm your host, Bragg of the Lonely Mountain, Lord of Streams and Dwarf of Ill Repute. Back after a short hiatus, all those thinking or perhaps hoping that I'd quit after a mere five episodes were incorrect. I have always had plans for at least six and so, refreshed and reinvigorated, I have the honor of hosting a podcast for you once again. I will say that uh, my break was intended to be two weeks, uh, but when I got back, uh, there were enough things going on catching up for being out uh, that I didn't really have time. And also, I found that I myself had a pile of podcasts to sort through, and the more I listened, the more I realized there had been a lot of news that I didn't feel like I was very up to speed on. Uh, which didn't leave me in a great position to comment, so I thought an extra week would help me catch up on at home uh, from the time away, as well as catch up on Lotro News so I could uh, give my views a bit more educated fashion. So, basically, as Christopher Walken would say, I, I need more beacons. I've got a fever. It can only be satisfied by lighting more beacons. So we'd better get on with it. There's so much time and so little to do. Let's light our first beacon. Amandine. Let's start out with a correction from last week. Uh, for those of you who may have listened to that episode, it seems a while back now for me, but um, I did hear that uh, uh, my lawyers were able to settle out of court with the <coughs> rightful thing of Heitbold. So all those writing in with uh, you know legal support and offers of friendship, much appreciated. But it looks like we'll be able to handle that uh, with just a small check. And uh, moving on from that, uh, there was a viewer comment. Uh, Tommy Ork wrote in. Uh, thank you very much, Tommy Ork, for chiming in with your comments. Commenting on my Tahiti episode uh, where I talked about the you know, the ups and downs of taking the hobbits to Isengard. One thing that I neglected to mention is that uh, that's in the ugly category is that they set the time uh, for the event on a U.S. server in such a way that anyone that's got uh, a job that has core business hours, say 9 to 5, and uh, for those on the West Coast would be in midday, it basically makes it impossible to attend the event. So I know, you know, it's a lot to ask to have uh, the community manager give up um, you know, two nights a week to, to put on the event, and perhaps that's why the timing is the way it is. But it is unfortunate that it does limit the participation from people who are uh, out there with regular jobs. Um, maybe they could consider some kind of alternative where they alternate and give, that, uh, give those folks a chance at some point. But I, I kind of understand why they have to do it the way they do it. It's just unfortunate. Tommy Arker also mentions that uh, for the Crossroad of Roads, the hardest quest in all of Ultra, at least by my reckoning, uh, he doesn't have the title, but he's been escort for two successful runs where a couple folks uh, gained the title. Um, he says, uh, from his experience, that the most chicken loss occurred while trying to skip through Angmar and uh, stealthing wargs pouncing, uh, also trying to sneak into a Numenos. But he does agree with the assessment of 95% boredom and 5% sheer terror. Uh, he did mention, uh, mention that uh, from the, I guess it's a podcast or video cast concerning Hobbits, Rosalinde, uh, not only did she make it, uh, she made it to Isengard during the Landril event and uh, defying logic with uh, screen, screenshots to prove it, 
she managed to get to Helm's Deep with her chicken, Edoras, Snowborn, Cliving, Harwork, Stangard, Lothlorien, all the way to the back gates of Moria. So uh, the gateway through Moria has always been the biggest barrier in taking your chicken across the nation, but with the recent connection of Rohan and uh, Dunland, uh, by jumping over the log, I guess it is possible to bring a chicken all the way to the back end, uh, rather carefully, I might imagine, all the way to the back gate of Moria, which is kind of cool. Uh, it's too bad we, at this, at least at this point, we won't see chickens in Moria. It'd be kind of epic to try to take one down, maybe on the endless stair, uh, down to the foundations of stone. That would be a lot of fun. Have a chicken party on the island with Gandalf's hat, maybe. So, Tommy Ark, uh, thanks for writing in to tell us about Rosalind's feats. I agree, those are uh, pretty fantastic, not likely to be repeated soon, unless, of course, there's a, there's a significant f escort. Never underestimate the power of the Lotro community. Um, so, what are we going to do in this episode? Uh, let's talk a little bit uh, about what we're doing in-game. Uh, we're going to have a Lotro quest highlight where we defend the very gate of Helm's Deep with Hamas. Uh, we're going to wax poetically on the origins of my redoubtable Captain Tune. And lastly, we'll check out Gra Bragg's Grab Bag, which has some random thoughts on uh, some of the Update 14 news and views I've heard since my return. As always, there's much to talk about, so let's light our second beacon. Ilenoch. So let's talk about what I've been doing in game a little bit uh, this week in Lotro. Well, it feels good to be back online. Uh, I really haven't taken a break uh, that long in a while, so it was kind of nice to step back from the game a little bit. Um, I did not miss it while I was away, but when I did get home and uh, looked at my laptop, I did have a desire to get on and check out things and, and get back up to speed and what's going on. So that's always a nice feeling to have. Um, Felt a little funny getting back online and running around a little bit, but uh, got into the swing of things quickly. Um, continued my Fangorn dailies. I'm 0 for 17, I think, on Hewer and Pets, at least. Um, I even tried once with a different tune to see if luck would uh, occur and strike there, and, and, and no such luck. Um, I'm about 6K or so from Kindred with the Ents on my main brag, so should make it to there this week. Originally, the goal I had from the uh, from the prizes or from the uh, rewards that are available from Fangorn was definitely the shield for my guard and potentially for my mini. So um, you're able to get access to those recipes at the uh, ally level. And so I was able to craft those with my main since he's a metalsmith. Uh, but I looked ahead to what was available for Kindred Rewards, uh, just to understand what uh, I might want to take advantage of when I get there. And I did notice there are, for Metalsmith at least, shelter and, uh, Shoulders and Helm's Recipes, both light and heavy armor. Um, but, you know, and they look pretty nice, but i got to say, they are they are cost 400 Fangorn leaves apiece. <laughs> um, you know, I said, you got to be kidding me. Uh, you know, even when I get to Kindred... I'd probably have to run dailies for another week or two to bring to build up enough leaves to get one of those recipes. So I can't see that happening. That's really too expensive. Uh, in my opinion, those should be maybe 200 Fangorn leaves apiece, or they should consider heavily upping the amount of leaves you get per quest uh, because they do crawl in at a pretty small rate. And uh, it's depressing to work that hard to get to... Uh, the reputation you need, and then to look at the rewards and not to have the currency in order to redeem them. That's, I think, bad design. So I'd recommend to Turbine they take a look at that. Um, I did note, as far as I know, the recipes that are available for the Ents of Fangorn, uh, once you earn them or once you redeem them, since I have a metalsmith that's going to be kindred, he can get the recipes from Metalsmith, but even if he got, if he, even if he uh, purchased some of the or bartered for some of the, the recipes for other professions, the other professions would have to be kindred with Ensafangorn to use them as well. So I, you know, again, it's too long of a grind. I can't see doing it on multiple tunes. I think a better design would be that if you get a tune to kindred, they can purchase recipes and uh, give them to other tunes on your account. And as long as those tunes are Western Met, you know, Grandmaster uh, Craftsmen, they should be able to craft those things. They shouldn't have to earn the rep. Uh, 
from the ends of Fangorn and get to Kindred, um, you know, to be able to access the recipes for each profession. I think that's a bit too much to ask for. So that's a little bit disappointing. Um, I did want to note as I was wandering around, as I was wandering around the forest of Fangorn, that I noticed the reprise of the Bunny of Wildemore. Uh, if any of you guys remember the Bunny of Wildermore, he was a small rabbit that sat on top of a, a bearskin rug um, out on top of the, I think they were called the high cro- rocky outcroppings or, you know, the high post um, out in the northwest part of the, uh, you know, northwest part of the territory. He used to run through there to, to scoop up war bands, uh, you know, right kind of between the troll boss and, uh, you know, heading down to the... A uh, little village to take out the ghosts. There, there's a um, there's a little hill overlooked with a beautiful view of the lake, where sits a bearskin rug with a little bunny rabbit sitting on it, and they don't do anything but sit there and look cute. And as I wandered around Fangorn Forest, I noticed the bunny was back on the bearskin rug in Fangorn Forest. If you follow the river, uh, you know as you run towards the river from Dern Dingle, uh, that takes you to all the quest areas, and you cross it, and then you make a right and head straight down the river. Uh, kind of just before you break the border into what would be Western Rohan, you will find uh, the bunny sitting on the bearskin rug, looking at uh, you know w- watching a waterfall out on the river. So he's back. The bunny is back. What could he be for? Is it just a little uh, hidden Easter egg in the game? Will they eventually do something with the money, make them into a deed, maybe uh, a puzzle, or is it just a quirky decoration? I happen to think it's just a quirky decoration for now, but. Uh, you know, maybe he's following us. Maybe he's also the same bunny that was uh, at the bottom of Enidwaith, you know, in in the uh, guarding the mouth of the cave of Kyle Banorg outside of Ostdunhoth. Who knows? Might be the same bunny haunting us. Uh, if so, then we've got some real t- uh, Monty Python fans uh, working over a turbine. Um, one thing I did want to note as I was running around Fangorn is, uh, you know, I know people say it's kind of small, it's just a mini-map, but I do think it's it's uh you know per turbine's regular mo it is well designed it's it is pretty it's a nice environment to run through and one thing that they th- i think they improve significantly is finding a good balance between having something that looks like a you know a overgrown wilderness area you know that's kind of exotic and filled with life uh but not making it so cluttered that it's a pain to navigate through um, that you can't run through with your horse, that your your view is constantly being obscured by limbs, trees, rocks, what what have you. That was a big problem uh, in Wildemore in the Balewood. Um, anyone that uh, uh, went and took down the warband uh, Rottenheart <laughs> in the woods there knows exactly what I'm talking about. It was a hassle of an area to get through. If you went off the beaten paths, you were constantly running into things. You know, it's not like war horses exactly turn on a dime. So it was a pain to navigate. You couldn't really see what was going on. Um, I think they really uh, found a better balance with Fangorn. Uh, it's much improved, in my opinion. Um, I did uh, was when I was uh, cycling through my tunes. Uh, I did realize that. Um, one of my tunes, my weaponsmith had not reached uh, West Westmnet Master Craftsman yet, so I took care of that. Had a stack of ore and went through it, processing and so forth, and got him up to max level. And I believe that now has me at the max level for all professions in the game. I'm pretty sure there might be one I'm missing, but I, I th- I'm pretty sure that I've even got farming up there. <laughs> um, so why do I craft in all professions? You know, I, you may know people in game that do that. It's a lot of work, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, most people are happy with one or two. What, why do I have an alt um, that's a uh, master craftsman in each profession? You know, for me, it's, it's part of it is convenience. Uh, being able to craft whatever I need for any alt is a lot of fun. I never have to ask around in game, is there a jeweler on that can do this? Is there a tailor on that can do this? Is there a cook on that can help me with some food? Um, so I do like the convenience of being able to craft for any alt. Uh, obviously, it's a very nice perk. Um, I do want to be able to have the tune up to speed so that they can collect from the latest resource nodes when they enter a new area. So, for example, when I go to um, when I go to Gondor, and they have a new type of node for crafting, 
I want to be able to ha- have the tune current enough that he can pick up the current node wherever he travels. Um, a, to, obviously, it's it's easier to collect uh, crafting materials as you're wandering through a territory and exploring. But um, also, typically, one of the best things that you can find in the game when a new area opens up is to find the uh, is to find the you know the emerald shard of the area or the mithril flake of the area, whatever the case may be, depending on the level. You know that rare crafting ingredient that you need to be able to uh, craft second or first age weapons, special jewelry recipes, special armor recipes, etc. So. Um, so having everyone up to speed where they can get the latest resources is important to be able to collect those. Um, I also like uh, you know doing the crafting because uh, I find it's something I can do on the side with little effort. For most part, most types of crafting, uh, you know, once I collected the resources, I have something else going on. I'm watching TV. I'm working on a paper. I'm doing a conference call. Whatever the case may be, I can just turn on Lotro on the side and have you know that crafting processing going on. Just look over every once in a while, you know, repair, uh, get materials I need and have them keep going. So most of the professions you can, you know, you can do the leveling at the craft, um, you know, at the craft uh, station uh, with very little effort, except maybe farming and cooking. Those are kind of a pain. But, um, you know, I do like to be able to help out any kinny that needs help, whatever he asks for, that he knows he can come to me if he needs something. Uh, Big motivation for me is that you have to be at the peak of your profession to be able to craft to be able to craft the best um, legendary item crafted relic in the game uh, so there are lots of options for that last crafted relic but unless you're um, you know at the top of your profession you can't go to your guild recipe and get the the top crafted top crafted li relic for your li um, so uh, that's a big inducement for me as well I uh, have to admit, there's probably some OCD completionist built in there, and heck, you gotta have need something to do with all the crap that you collect as you pour through the game. So, <laughs> I always feel like I have that covered as well. So that's why I craft in all professions. I'm up to speed on them all, so that means must be ready for the next uh, expansion, right? Uh, so what else have I been doing? Um, one thing I did was I cycled through all my tunes to remember what they are, collect their mail, make sure they're um, you know up to speed. Uh, um, I hate when I don't log into an alt for a long time and everything I've sent in the mail comes back to the people that sent it and I have to resend it again. So every once in a while, I cycle through my tunes, remember where they are from a level perspective, what's on their plate next. And it helps me think about well, how I might want to play the game next, you know, see which tune catches my eye that I'd like to work on a little bit. I did uh, complete the epic on my lore master for the jewelry that it provides, if nothing else. Um, and then I also completed the quests, uh, the quest line in the Westfold in order to get the Redeemer of the Long Night title. So if you look at the deeds available in West Rohan, one of them is the Redeemer of the Long Night, which means that you've been through all the epic battles in Helm's Deep and you've lived to see the dawn. But there's a bit of a, I don't know if it's a bug or if it's working as designed, but you will not get that title unless you finish the Westfold quest line as well, because the two are very closely interwoven. Um, so I did finish the Westfold, uh, the Westfold quest line as well, uh, which allowed me the benefit of uh, also bestowing the additional class trait point you get from that. Uh, as I was doing those quests, one thing I noticed: there's a quest called "To the Westfold." It says, "Find Gandalf on the road west of uh, you know west of Edoras, heading to Elm's Deep." And you ride up, and you see him, and he's sitting there, sh- you know, sitting glowing white, sitting on Shadowfax commandingly. And, uh, you know, he goes and tells you to uh, go out and do some stuff for him, of course. But one thing I did notice as I took a look up at, uh, at Gandalf sitting on Shadowfax to bestow the quest is that he was wearing uh, a leaf brooch from Lothlorien, one of the one of the nine or one of the Lothlorien leaf brooches that was given to the fellowship as they traveled through Lothlorien. And so I have to go back and look at the books to see if there's a workaround for this. But as you know, Gandalf didn't make it to Lorien, and he was not there with the original Fellowship when they got those Lothlorien brooches. So, unless somehow someone loaned him one, you know, maybe maybe Aragorn loaned him one, or or uh, Galadriel, you know, came flying on an eagle or something to, like throw one down at him. Uh, I'm pretty sure he shouldn't have that. I think that might be a, a lore breach. I should be playing like some kind of lore breach alert. Lore Breach Alert. So uh, I also play a little bit on my champion in 
the North Downs, continuing to experience some of that recast content. And again, I'm slightly overleveled for the Western side, at least at this point, but I am noticing some new quests again. Uh, they did a little bit more with Minchum's Camp, uh, gave a little backstory to Colbert the Mad, made a new area with a new quest line there where you uh, find a tomb that he disturbed, and you know the reason he's crazy is because he's, uh, the spirits are angry. So you have to go find a chest and return it to them. So that's a, that's a new quest I hadn't seen in Fornell. So again, I continue to see new things sprinkled in there that I think uh, fill in the story a little bit better. And I do think the quest line is flowing pretty well through that area. So I'll continue to give my impressions there. Uh, I have been itching to do some instance runs. It's been a while since I've done that. Um, so um, the night I logged in first, it was pretty late. There wasn't much going on. So I did a... In the Forsaken run, by myself, I hadn't done that in a long time. Um, it wasn't even open on my captain I was playing, so I ran over to the ran over to the Inner Forsaken and uh, opened up that quest line and soloed the instance. Um, was not difficult. I did die through the uh, some of the traps, uh, the trap swinging doors once or twice. It's hard to avoid those all the way through. Um, it did take some time, but I was able to even do the final boss fight uh, just as a solo by kind of running around and triggering the traps to myself. So I'd forgotten that was possible to solo. hadn't done that in a long time. Uh, the rewards aren't as great as they were at one point, which is, I think, the main reason why that instance is not run that much. Because I think it's a pretty fun instance. It's pretty different. Um, I do think if there were rewards, there'd be people pouring through there and doing it more. Um, it's not that long when you have a group and, uh, you know, just a little bit of complexity enough to make it interesting. And of course the water slide enough said, so, um, that was fun. Uh, then helped out a kinmate run the grand stairs, did a full run, uh, and a challenge mode run. Cause he needed just a few more, uh, medallions of Moria to get his final piece of gear, uh, for Moria gear. Um, you know, I was on a higher level character. I think it was, a my hunter that was 83. So, uh, was not tough, obviously, to do that, just kind of mowed through everything. But one thing I noticed whenever I go back to the Grand Stairs, and let me know if you agree with me or not on this, I still think it's one of the coolest physical spaces they've built for an instance in the game. Uh, it's just, you know, epic when you look around at the scenery, the way it's all interconnected, the way the stairs kind of uh, bend over and cross over under each other. You've got the lava area, you've got, uh, you know, all the high parapets hanging and kind of the drawbridges and so forth. Uh you know, I know Grand Stairs was overrun back in the day when it was a daily and everyone was doing challenge mode on it every day on every character uh, because the rewards were so easy. But um, but I think, this, you know, I look, I still look back at it fondly and I still love the design and I uh, think it, you know, again, from a design aesthetic perspective, one of my favorite instances in the game. So I did a turtle run with the same group of folks. Um, took about 57 seconds with seven people. As most of you guys know by now, with the latest update, um, you no longer get an emblem of Nimrodel unless you run it as a 6 instead of as a 12. So lots of people running it as a fellowship in order to get the emblem of Nim Nimrodel. And I think that's understandable. That's the reason most people run it, is to build up 6 emblems of Nimrodel in order to get a level 61st age for an alt. Uh, I happen to run it mostly for the chance of getting uh, Nanu's hiding place, the trophy from there. Uh, not Nornuin's head, but the other one, which only drops, I don't know. I guess uh, by my luck, I'd say it's one out of every 5,000 runs. So I'm up to run maybe 4,989, 4, so I'm sure I'm coming up. It's going to drop any time for me. Um, no Nanu this time around. Uh, I do think, I wanted to comment real briefly on the move to only give out emblems of Nimrodel for Fellowship Six-Mans. I don't like this, and the reason I don't like it is because the way it's implemented, it pretty much it makes it impossible for a group of on-level characters that really need the emblem to go in and run it together. It just assumes that you're going to have over-leveled help. And I think that's unfortunate because, uh, you know, obviously a better option would be to scale the instance. <laughs> would probably wouldn't be hard to do. Um, but, you know, why rule out the possibility that a bunch of on-level characters might try to attempt it? And if they can't get the reward, it really defeats the original purpose for the instance. So I think a much better solution would be, you know, I would think it would be pretty easy to analyze the characters that are in the instance 
and to provide the emblems of Nimrodel to maybe top-level characters only if they're in a six-man. But if you're in a 12-man raid, uh, to only give emblems of Nimrodel to maybe characters that are level 65 or below. Um, you know, I know that would imply looking at, you know, the drop tables for the instance, but, uh, you know, I think it's the best solution and hopefully it wouldn't be that difficult to implement. Uh, we then did a watcher run in under three minutes. <laughs> no strategy required besides avoiding the initial shout, which always kills somebody who hasn't been in there before who's lagging. Um, you know, pretty much after that, it was kind of a tank and spank. Uh, so the ominous pool dropped, uh, which is something I've wanted for a long time. Another trophy I've wanted for a long time, but I didn't get that either. So for those of you who haven't seen the ominous pool trophy from The Watcher, uh, as you walk up to it uh, every once in a while, a tentacle will reach out and pick you up and shake you around and then like drop you back down on the ground, uh, which I think is hilarious. I've seen pictures of it. I've never seen it live myself. So another reason to continue to watch uh, Do the Watcher. And the other reason to continue to do the Watcher, besides the fact that it can be fun since it's so quick, is that it still drops some great cosmetic armor pieces as well. Um, if you're into cosmetics, I've uh, gotten some great pieces from the Watcher sets over the years that I've put in my wardrobe. And I happened to get a drop called uh, Hera Mabe, H-E-R-E-M-A-I-B, uh, which was a set of cool cosmetic heavy gloves that uh, hadn't seen before. So those are in my wardrobe now, and uh, Watcher always provides good cosmetics. All right, so that's what I've been doing this week in Lotro, and that's plenty. Let's move on to our third beacon. Nardal. Okay, so for Nardal this week, I would like to share a piece of creative work that I put together for, I think it was a kin contest in game, where one of our officers um, in a kin that I'm in with one of my alts asked uh, everybody in the kin to submit uh, some kind of prose or poetry, um, kind of explaining the backstory of their character and why they are the class they are, um, using as many words as possible to describe you know, the different characteristics of the class. So I decided to write a short backstory on my captain. Uh, my captain is, a, when I heard the word captain, the thing that first popped into my mind was Captain of Gondor. So I made him a man from Gondor. And I tried to imagine him as someone who uh, was a distant you know, cousin or nephew of uh, Denethor, the steward. And uh, he's seen how the kingdom is declining under Denethor, and he disagrees with the policies and the, uh, the pronouncements of Denethor, but is kind of trapped by his bloodline um, and decides finally to, uh, to leave in exile or is exiled perhaps by his sire um, uh, to go and you know, find his destiny elsewhere. And so he strikes out for the north. So here, without further ado, is uh, my composition... Uh, regarding my Captain Brenethor. I speak of noble Brenethor, dread bludgeon of the Pelennor, lost son of a dwindling line, at odds with liege amid decline, blameless and yet banished, ere he set out for the northern wars. Long he labored, lacking lore, across the lands of Eriador, from steel and sinew, shadow shied, horde scattered by his rallying cry, with every plight he gained in might, inspiring hope in those succored. From weathertop to ice bay shore, through Carndoom, Rift, and Moria's gore, in defense of Middle-earth, his cry of vengeance proved his worth, whispered deeds that fell ignored by sickened sire Denethor. So restless does his soul explore and seek new purpose evermore. In hopes of ending long exile, he sought cam comrades without rank or guile to find new faith in fellowship and wander lonely nevermore. And that is my ode to Brenethor. Let's move on to the next beacon. Eralas. Uh, now a word from our advertisers at Eralas. This episode of Light the Beacons is brought to you by Barrow Bree. Barrow Bree, if it comes from a barrow, you'll feel it tomorrow. Try Barrow Bree and your mac and cheese. It makes a hobbit tummy fill up with glee and poison. And from Layla's Barrow Downs Tour Guide Service, why not stop and smell the flowers with Layla's? Tours leaving hourly from the Dead Spire. BYOB. The fifth beacon is Min Rimon. 
All right, for MinRim on this week, we're going to talk about a Lotro Quest highlight, uh, picking one again that I recently went through uh, again in the in the west of Rohan. The Door Ward is the name of the quest, starring Hamas. So you may remember this uh, quest is granted after completion of the epic battles, after you've done some reconnoitering of the fields in front of Helm's Deep at dawn. Um, you run back in, and there's a nice session play that's near the door that some people miss. It's actually got some nice rewards, some class-specific rewards that are available. So it's uh, usually advantageous to do. Um, so it, uh, the setup is this. You're basically, the outer gates of Helm's Deep have been destroyed, and the hordes are pouring forth to, to tear down the inner gate, which is the last gate standing between the men of Rohan. Hamas is staring outside of the gate, and uh, he says, um, a door ward I was and a door ward I remain. And he's not going to let anyone through. So waves of foes come at him and start to wear him down. He you know, fights epically and uh, you know, he takes out several groups, you know, I remember. And as, as his strength wanes, um, there's a break in the fighting. And it says, Hamas remembers the glory of Rohan and his strength is renewed. And all of a sudden his morale is back to, to full strength. And he fights through several more waves of enemies. And then it says, uh, when he's about to die again, his morale is flagging. It says, Hamas remembered the house of Ural and his strength was renewed. And he gets back up to the top. And he fights off several more rounds. Uh, finally, Hamas remembers Leoforth, his ailing father, uh, back at the, uh, the, the town with the bridge neck connected to it. And his strength is renewed. And finally, he settles in front of the door and he says, I will not retreat from this spot a single step. With his back to the door, he takes his final stand and a bunch of uh, pretty mean-looking Uruks come in and strike him down. And even with his last gasp, as he's like lying on the ground on his knees, he takes his sword and like skewers it up through another Uruk and kills another Uruk. Th this guy is, okay, I've done this quest four or five times now. And I keep trying to find ways to save him. I'm like running in the corners, trying to see if I can get uh, the mobs to bug out or see if I can take him one at a time. Uh, this guy rocks. I want to save him. <laughs> so this is uh, you know, well-done session play. It's short. It tells an important story that's kind of tangential to the main epic story, but uh, you know, really has some, uh, you know, some intense payoff in terms of character development. Um, you know, any, any session play that can make you feel emotion for an NPC, uh, you know, is well done in my book. So this is another strong quest for Helm's Deep, and I recommend you do the session play both for uh, the, uh, you know, well-done design and story as well as for the rewards that are available for it. Okay, let's go to the sixth beacon. Bragg's grab bag at Callanhad. Okay, so uh, I'm getting more up to speed with what's going on with Update 14 and some of the news that uh, Turbine's been sharing of late. And uh, I have some, you know, I don't feel I'm completely up to speed on yet. There's actually been a lot of news over the last two, three weeks while I was out. Um, so first of all, they've released some additional information regarding the Bjorning class. And I've heard different opinions coming out. I know a lot of people that are excited to play it. I know a lot of people that don't like the direction it's going and don't believe it's appropriate from a lore perspective and uh, you know don't agree with some of the design decisions around it that were shared. Um, I do think that they're doing probably the most common sense approach to the Bjorning that they can. Um, I thought Bjorning was the obvious choice out of the character options that were available and have been discussed over the last couple years. Uh, I do think it is lore appropriate. I think there's plenty of implications uh, through Tolkien's writing that uh, the men of Bjorn's race, you know, were lesser, um, you know, lesser forms of his own, you know, his own glory, and uh, you know, might have some of his capabilities. Uh, and and I think you know the biggest complaint that people have is, well, we're going to have bears walking all over Bree. That's not lore appropriate, but. The way Turbine is constructed, the mechanic around Bjorning's changing into bear, they require wrath, which happens only in combat. So we're not going to see any Bjornings in bear form walking around Bree or around, uh, you know, around Rivendell or whatever the case may be um, in the Shire. Uh, they're going to look like men. They, they may be hairy men, <laughs> but hobbits are hairy too. So, I mean, you can't really, you know, dwarves got to be hairy. Elves pretty much the only race that's not hairy, so... 
So again, I think that's a, you know a good compromise in not showing a bunch of bears running around Bree as Bjornings. Um, that was pretty much the way that uh, that trait had to be done in order to avoid that eventuality. Um, I do like the uh, the fact that they're light armor. Uh, I think it m- makes them different from some of the other melee classes that are out there. And uh, and the fact that they need wrath instead of power that's a bold step not to use power at all. Um, interesting. I'll reserve judgment on that. I do like the constraints of power. You know. What's an LM going to do if he's in a three-man with two Bjornings? And, he, you know, one of his main uh, purposes in the game of providing power and being a power manager is taken away. So I'd, I'd, I'd have to say off the bat I'm a little negative on not, them not requiring power, but we'll see how that develops. Um, I am a little bummed that they're starting at level 50 so that you don't get to experience all the old content with a new class. I am enjoying doing that with some of my alts on other classes. I kind of understand why they're doing it. You know, they'd really have to rip the game physically apart in order to create a Bjorning starting area. And uh, the amount of work that would go in and revising all the old quests and all the old epics in order to provide appropriate rewards. Um, But it is a a little bit of a disappointment to me that they have to go that route. Um, I would say, I would recommend instead of level 50, I think it would have been really smart if they had instead chosen 45. Uh, so that you could blend, um, you know, their orientation in with uh, starting the epic quest line to get uh, legendary items. So I'm assuming Bjornings are going to have legendary items, and also would prevent them from overleveling Moria. You know, really the western gates of Moria are people go into in the upper 40s, um, and uh, you know, if you start out in Moria at 50, you, you might have some of the quests overleveled already. Uh, the game's easy enough as it is when PVEing, so I think 45 would be a better starting age. Um, but obviously, with the gift of the Valar, they have uh, you know other mechanics in the game for starting at level 50, and perhaps that's why they decided to do that as well. Um, so that's my view on the initial view on the Bjornings. We'll see how those develop. I'm pretty sure I'm going to eventually end up acquiring and playing one. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of bears running around for you at some point. Uh, later this year. So uh, they did comment regarding, I think one of the other big game systems that's going under some change is the itemizations that are uh, occurring that include essences. So the ability to uh, sub out portions of the benefits that you get from a piece of armor, perhaps, and sub in other advantages that you'd like. So say you have physical mitigation and you decide you don't need more physical mitigation, you want more might because you know, you're a champion, um, you can trade out an essence that has a higher level of might uh, you know, to customize it more for yourself. So you know, that's how I'm taking this, at least uh, from what I've heard, basically how it's going to work. Um, I actually have positive views on this. I think anything that allows you to customize your character in the game further is a positive. And I also like the idea idea of being able to offer essences as rewards in-game for various types of activities, whether it be instances, skirmishes, epic quest rewards, um, you know, any kind of you know, festival drops or whatever the case may be. You know, I'm always excited when I get something different in a raid, right? When at the end when I win a um, you know, a token of Celebrimbor or um, uh, crystal, a starlight crystal or uh, a scroll of um, remembrance or of empowerment, you know, back in uh, Eastern Rohan when they had the sun brands and the uh, and the moon, uh, you know, the, all the different gems that you could get to customize your jewelry. I, I think those are all good things. Whenever you have a slightly different re- reward that's a little more exciting to get than an XP rune and some gold, it's a good thing. So those would be fun. The fact that they may be tradable and even auctionable will also be cool. And uh, I'm looking forward to see what they do with the Essence system. I think it's uh, potentially a good change. Um, you know, one question that came up in some of the Hobbit runs is they were asking about first age drops. Where are those going to be available in game? You know, it was always an easy thing to say they'd be part of a raid cluster um, or a challenge mode for a six man or whatever the case may be. Uh, but the fact that they're not building instances into the game presents a challenge for them as to you know what is required to give a first age drop. Um, so they they give a bit of a furtive answer on that. They're still looking through it. Um, you know, I think one thing that I, I would note is that when they made 
two Second Age tokens of Celebrimbor available uh, for finish the epic quest line in Helm's Deep. It was too much. Uh, you know, my characters had already been earning them from instances. And, uh, you know, basically most of my characters have finished the epic quest line that were at level cap. And now I have a stack of those, um, a stack of those symbols uh, that are unused at this point. So, you know, I think they're assuming maybe that for a lot of the solo players that there was no other way to earn them. So they gave them two at the end of the epic quest line. Uh, it's, it was too many. I think one might have been appropriate. Two was too many. Um, so I think it's, you know, again, a little bit dumbing down the game for the solo player. Um, and they need to have a little more better balance with that. I did hear a rumor that there might be swan pets available in Gondor. Uh, which I guess is appropriate. You know, they're they're tying these again to the lore where they can, and uh, um, you know, the Swan Knight is uh, you know the classic image from Dol Amroth. So the fact that they could have Swan pets is uh, could be kind of funny. I heard in Bolroar they were fixing the animation because uh, sometimes when you run around they would kind of swim behind you in the ground. <laughs> so uh, so I'm sure they have that straightened out. It kind of reminds me of the Shrew pet. Uh, there's a little bug that if you've seen where if you jump on your horse, sometimes he'll, and, he, and your shrew pet's out, he'll run after you at super speed. He can run as fast as your horse. And every once in a while he stops to like, you know, sit up and, and clean his paws and look around and you're still moving on your horse. So he's kind of sliding behind you. It looks like he's water skiing. It's awesome. <laughs> so if you have your shrew pet water skiing behind you on your horse, you know, they're worried about breaking lore. Come on. <laughs> So hopefully they'll have the swan pets figured out so they're not, uh, you know, flying behind you like uh, maybe kite flyer or, um, <laughs> as you skid around on your horse. Um, I did hear rumor that there will be group content on the landscape similar to what we had with Limlight Gorge in, uh, in the Great River. I think that's positive. Anything that varies the content and allows options for grouping um, and for rewards for grouping I think is good. So I'm excited to see that. I uh, heard rumor that there might be an epic battle. I'm not sure if that's part of update 14 or soon thereafter, but sounded like there's going to be an epic battle in um, in, Gon in Western Gondor. And uh, I'd like to speculate that it could be perhaps defending a port from a Corsair ship. So I kind of have this picture in my mind of, uh, you know, you're in a fortress in the corner of the town, and uh, there's these landing party boats that are kind of crossing the water from the from the ship, and you can fire ballistic catapults on them, and they, as they get out on the shore, they're like running up uh, using siege to try to get up on top of the fortress. So I think that would be a little different uh, epic battle, potentially, and uh, could be interesting to see, um, you know, in a different setting than Helm's Deep. Uh, again, variety is good, as long as all of Endgame is not epic battles. They know we're not interested in that, but, um, you know, if they want to continue to develop the system, I'd be willing to try it. I heard rumor, and this is a big one, that there is a three-man instance coming out. Uh, I'm not sure what the timing is of that yet, but this is good news. This is the first time we'd heard, you know, in the past, everyone's been asking, why are there no raid clusters coming? And, uh, you know, um, Turbine was giving responses indicating how much time and effort goes into a raid cluster and how little it's used uh, by the percentage of the player base that's out there and, and that it's really a bad return on investment for them at this stage. But, uh, you know, when they said no raid cluster, they didn't say no instances. And maybe we be, should be more specific. So I think there's two possibilities. One is that they'd had a mini instance planned, but they didn't consider it a raid, so they didn't want to trumpet it as a raid and give it as a response to questions of that nature. Or the other is they've really listened to the backlash of the players and said, you know, if we can at least give a three-man with this new content, I think it would be positive. Guess what? I think it's positive. Um, if they do, in fact, come out with a three-man with the new content, uh, I do think it's a reaction to the player base, and I do think it's uh, encouraging that they'll continue to provide options for end-game play. Even if it's one three-man three instance and you run it 20 times and you're dead tired of it, um, you know, it's it indicates to me that they're not saying we're done making instances going forward because they're not worth our while. Um, you know, if there's good feedback from the community, hopefully they'll continue to roll out new instances over time. I did read that there was um, perhaps some interesting new mechanics around the Dole Amroth neighborhoods uh, having to do with dailies and rep and opening up certain sections of the city for dailies. Um, so that sounds a little height boldish to me, but it also sounds like they're 
not doing things by the playbook, that they're trying new things and continuing to evolve and gain play. Um, you know, that along with group ten, group content on landscape and Ekbit Battle, a three-man instance, uh, you know, I think is really good news for variety, and I'm excited by that, um, by these tidbits. Plus, on top of that, you know, lots of little stuff. Um, someone was mentioning that the the kin login text uh, f- uh, field size is going to be increased, so you can have longer messages. Um, you're going to ha- enable to have more friends on your friends list. These are little uh, quality of life improvements that I really think uh, people are going to enjoy. Um, you know, it's on top of like some things they've been doing recently, like the last rollout where they had the mail redesign that everyone's been asking for for so long. Uh, things like when they took the uh, option in crafting to suppress a crit ID so that it would knock you out of your crafting, um, you know, your crafting run. Uh, the inventory sorting option that's been made available recently. Um, by the way, I did hear they're going to refine the inventory sorting. I love the inventory sorting as an idea. I don't like the way it sorts stuff, but I figure it's easier to have all my characters sorted the same way and I'll eventually get used to it. But I hear they're making improvements about um, the way this stuff is ranked and how it, you know, what goes first and what's next to what. So I'm hopeful they'll continue to refine that because I do think there are, when I look at the bags after they're sorted, although it's really cool to sort it automatically and I'll get used to it, there are some head scratchers as far as why certain materials are next to others that I think they need to work on. Um, so, you know, again, all these little things, you know, it indicates to me that I really think Turbine is you know, they realize if they're not going to have an expansion to appeal to players, they've really got to listen to the players and deliver things. You know, I think they're making a conscious attempt to deliver high-impact things that people have been asking for for a long time. Um, And I think that's part of, you know, I would say it's a reflection perhaps of Rowan's leadership. Um, I think he's shown a lot of that since he's come back, so it might be coming from the top down. Uh, But it's all good news to me. Perhaps the biggest news of the update coming is that there are going to be beacons in Southern Gondor. Uh, I don't know if it's not the same beacons that we light in this podcast in between uh, the city of Minas Tirith and Edoras, but they're beacons nonetheless, and I'll be excited to run up and find all the beacons. I'm sure that's going to be a deed of Southern Gondor and uh, visit my Southern Beacon uh, neighbors to the south. I'll be thinking of the podcast whenever I do. Would love if you would as well. Uh, beyond the immediate updates, they also gave some tantalizing hints going forward in the future. Uh, so they mentioned the possibility of having additional server-wide PVE goals, uh, much like they did with the the Bounders, uh, the Bounders bounty in the Shire. Um, there could be some PVE goals aligned with the new update that open up new content on a server-by-server basis. And I think these are really positive. At least the way Vilya responded was, um, you know, people were very interested. People were looking at the boards and seeing which servers were done first and, uh, you know, who was where. And, and uh, it was exciting to see everybody collaborating together. So I think that's a positive uh, reflection as well that opens up new community-inspired events for gameplay. And this one is a big one. Uh, it's been talked about before, but they're mentioning it again. And if they're mentioning it where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, will Osgiliath potentially be a PVMP zone uh, when we get there next year? So the roadmap strategy laid out does indicate that we'll be going to Isgiliath and the Pelennor Fields next year, and maybe even Minas Tirith by the end of the year, although the timing for that is obviously um, still up in the air, uh, with side trips to the Dead Marshes. And uh, as we are visiting Esgiliath, there's speculation once again that if they were ever going to do another PVMP map in Lotro, Osgiliath would be the perfect location. Uh, from a lore perspective, it fits perfectly. It's a center of conflict that's been fought over for uh, you know, b- millennia in game, probably, uh, in lore terms. And um, it gives a completely different environment f- for PVMP from the current zone in the Etnmores. In terms of, you know, city-wide ruins, I can picture, you know, a maze of different passages and bridges and tunnels all interconnecting with lots of different cover and courtyards. And and uh, would be a really cha- big change of pace in terms of the type of combat uh, that, would, that would happen within that space. Um, that would be really exciting, I think. You know, there are some drawbacks to having tight spaces to fight in, and that you could, but I really think there's also... 
um, a lot of strategy that could come into play, taking advantage of the environment uh, to do guerrilla warfare and so forth. And, uh, you know, people are worried about, well, if you make it a PVMP zone, you know, I want to experience it as PVE. I think it's very easy for Turbine to make a PVE version, as well as a doorway that you could go through to uh, enter the PVMP version of Osgiliath. And if they're designing the environment already for PVE, uh, then their job is, you know, maybe half done from a PVMP perspective, and it's, uh, you know, saving them time and money in developing a PVMP map. So let's keep our fingers open that this is finally going to stick and that perhaps we will see a new PVMP map in 2015. That is an official brag prediction at this point. I'll round those up at the end of the year, but uh, I'm feeling it. Feeling a new PVMP map. And we'll see. Um, Pelinor and Asgiliath and Minas Tirith in 2015. Uh, I, did, I thought it would be another year before we'd get to Minas Tirith, so... Happy to see them moving the story along aggressively. That's exciting, too. Okay, let's move along to... Halfirian, the final beacon. That brings us to the end of the sixth episode of Light the Beacons. I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for agoraphobia. You can find me on Facebook at Bragg Son of Balan, on Twitter at Bragg Son of Balan, or on my website, lightthebeacons.com, where you can post comments directly on the podcasts. I'd kindly request, if you're enjoying the podcast, that you take a minute to go out to iTunes and leave me a review. I just have two or three so far, and I think I need a few more in order to uh, build up some reputation there so that uh, my podcast will appear as one of the options when someone types in a podcast and tries to find it in iTunes, so I would really appreciate that. If any of your comments through any of these channels would pass the Turbine Code of Conduct policy, I'll hopefully include them or respond to you in some way. So, I hope you either laughed at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before, or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. Most of all, I hope you enjoy your time this week in Middle-Earth. This is Bragg, Son of Balan, signing off. Baruch Kazad! And remember, when the chips are down, and you're hand-selected by your group to take the suicide plunge off of Nardor Station in the Grand Stairs, don't despair. Light the beacons! <laughs>